the lesson today is uh, a good lesson, I think. And it's entitled, The Knowledge of Paul, but as you've read and studied that lesson, I, I would uh, think that uh, we might think uh, it's the knowledge of Paul, but yet it's a lesson that deals with what? Preachers and their examples, right? And uh, it's good, I think it's a good lesson. Uh, Paul, uh, in this writing to the uh, Thessalonian people, I think realized how important his example before them was. And uh, he didn't want to, any misunderstanding about his motives for preaching the gospel of Christ. Uh, and as we go through the lesson, we'll see that... Uh, that it wasn't for monetary gains and it wasn't for the glory that could come his way as a so-called big-time gospel preacher, but his motives for preaching Christ was to save souls, wasn't it? The message of the gospel. And so this, uh, uh, this lesson here today is a lesson about his example that he set before people in his day. Needless to say, Paul didn't shy away from the responsibilities that he had as a Christian and as a minister of the gospel of Christ. Of course, he didn't have a written New Testament in his day, did he? We do today. Uh, but even though there wasn't a written standard at that time, of course, Paul was a called apostle, and he possessed the power of the Holy Spirit that had been given to him by the Lord, and what he spoke, he spoke through inspiration, didn't he? So the message he had was one of authority. And he regarded very, uh, very highly his responsibility in preaching that word that had been given to him with authority. And I think uh, if we look closely at this lesson today, an individual who is a teacher of moral and religious values is always a model of that which he teaches and he's aware of that and also the vessel through which that word is to be disseminated. Of course, all of us, when we think about Paul, what do we think about? Well, obviously it comes to our mind he's the principal writer of the New Testament, right? Right? One of the greatest gospel preachers probably that ever lived. But you know if, uh, if Paul went through the procedures that we go through sometimes in this world today to get a job, <laughs> what you got to have to get a job today? Qualification. got to have a resume, right? Now in my day, I don't ever remember having a resume. 
you may have uh, when you applied for a job, you know, you got all this list of stuff that you've done and uh, what your what your qualification for that job uh, is and, and all that. I don't remember ever having a resume. I guess that means I'm old on it. Uh, but you think about Paul's resume. What would be on that? Well, I've been in jail a few times, right? I've been beaten uh, almost to death a few times. Uh, you think about Paul's life, it, it's, it's pretty rough, isn't it? Uh, and we're going to look at one incident here in this lesson today where, where that's all. So uh, if Paul compiled a resume and was truthful about what uh, happened to him in his life, it wouldn't be one that uh, probably people today would hire, would it? Criminal, you know, been jailed more than once. Criminal in the eyes of some, but not in the eyes of God. Uh, it's kind of interesting. In, uh, there in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10, Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you, Christ or Jesus Christ him crucified. That was his message in chapter 2 of that book, verse 2. But in verse 10, Paul's enemies said that his letters were weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. What do you think Paul looked like physically? Well, we don't know, do we? But from that verse, uh, we might think that... Uh, he was a weakling, looked like he's weak. Uh, did he look like a gospel preacher? <laughs> if we stood Dwayne up over here on this side and Matthew over here on this side and you looked at both of them, would they look like gospel preachers? You know, I've often wondered, uh, in fact, uh, I've had people to say, you know, well, he don't look like a preacher. I wonder what a preacher's supposed to look like. You ever thought about that? And, and some people used to say, uh, well, I remember one time I was preaching at Union Hill. You, this is back in the 1970s, I guess. And uh, we had one gentleman that always sat on the front seat, and every now and then he and his two sisters would go visiting, and uh, he'd come in the, the night after the visit, and he'd say, well, we went and heard a good preacher today. <laughs> I thought, okay. <laughs> uh What's a good preacher? Do you think Paul was a good preacher? Well, what about that? His speech was contemptible. Uh, he even admitted he might not be the most fluent speaker in the world, didn't he? Even in this lesson today. What's a good preacher? A good preacher is a sound preacher who preaches the truth of God like Paul did in spite of the difficulties and persecutions that might come his way as a result of that teaching. So Paul was concerned about 
the message, not necessarily about his appearance. He did want to be the example that he needed to be. Take a preacher, for example, who claims to be a preacher, but yet when he's on the job, outside of his preaching, those that see him at what he does can't believe he's a preacher when they find out about it because his language is not what it needs to be. I know of a case like that. You mean he's a preacher? Well, he cusses like a sailor. Well, what kind of impact do you think that that particular person has on outsiders? Those not Christians. Well, it'd be very negative, wouldn't it? Now, some of his followers may not may not know what he does outside of the activities of the church. But that has a great impact on people who don't even go to church and turns them off as to what, there, here's an individual that's telling you to live the high and noble life and give up all of these things, but yet they're not practicing what they're teaching you to do. So example is very, very very important. Paul's message was important. He wanted these Thessalonians to know that. His message was simple. Uh, Christ, uh, who was the Son of God, came. He suffered. He died. God raised him from the dead. He's coming again. And there's salvation and nobody else except him. Basically, that's what Paul preached. To all of these places that he went, uh, as you follow him in the book of Acts, uh, didn't matter uh, the status of a person, how much money they had, how little money they had. The message was for all, wasn't it? Uh, you know, God doesn't dole out favors just because you're famous or wealthy, does he? But uh, God in his word warns us about the attitude we need to take toward being famous or wealthy, doesn't he? What did he say? What did Jesus say about uh, wealth? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Uh, I've often, uh, in my younger days, I guess when I didn't think very well, uh, thought about a camel going through the eye of a needle as impossible. But it's not impossible for a rich man to go to heaven. The eye of a needle was that opening in the wall of a city where a camel had to stoop almost, you know, and drag to get under it into the city. So it wasn't impossible, but it took a little effort to get that animal through that eye into the city. The same thing would be true 
with those that have uh, and have been prospered well in this life. It's not impossible to get there, but it's going to take a little effort and it's going to take a little sacrifice. So the Lord doesn't favor a person because he's famous or wealthy. But whether or not that individual has been submissive to the words that's spoken. The first uh, section in uh, our book here today is entitled His Boldness in God, and it's taken from what uh, Mike uh, read uh, in uh, the devotional this morning from Second, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. By the time that Paul wrote this uh, letter, that we're studying this quarter, the church in that city was very well acquainted with what had happened to him in his life. Now his critics would bring up these things uh, that happened to Paul and his company to try to discredit him in the eyes of, of others. So when he went on and finally ended up in Thessalonica, uh, words followed about what happened in Philippi and, and other places. And the purpose of that was to discredit Paul's work. So it, the happening in Philippi is mentioned here in this text that, uh, that Mike read about. Back in Acts, the 16th chapter, and verse 16. Now, Paul had just had uh, uh, converted uh, Lydia, in that chapter, uh, she was baptized in her household. And then after that, uh, there was in that city uh, a girl who possessed a spirit of divination, uh, the scripture says. Some translations uh, include in that a Pythian spirit. And every day that Paul and his company went about, uh, talking in the synagogue and getting, uh, uh, getting the message of Christ out, this girl interrupted him, and, but she was saying that, uh, that these are servants of the Most High God. And she would say that every day. Well, Paul finally got to the point where uh, he dealt with it. He did not want her testifying as to Jesus Christ being the Son of God and their being their servants. He wanted God's Word testifying to that fact. So he healed her. Now, why did that cause such a big problem? You'd think that'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? This person be freed from that spirit. But it was not a good thing for some because it interfered with what? Their pocketbook. Yeah. She had the ability with the possession of this spirit to foretell uh, things that, that were coming, that would happen. A fortune teller, we might, might call her in some respects, I guess. But this, uh, this Pythian spirit that uh, they wrote about is they attributed that ability to foretell the future through this Pythia who was 
given her power by Apollos, one of the gods that, uh, that the people of that time worshipped. So Paul didn't want, and he didn't need, the testimony of this demon-possessed girl here at Philippi in Acts 16 to, uh, to uh, tell who they were and what they were doing. So after he cast that demon out, obviously the, the owners of her, I guess you would say, didn't like that, and they had Paul and, and uh, his company arrested, didn't they? They brought them before the magistrates. If you read there in Acts uh, 16, and when her master saw, verse 19, that the hope of her gain, their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. So they brought them to court. And after they had told them, uh, you know, what, what was going on, they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And so the magistrates commanded that they be beaten and then cast into prison and await trial. Well, that's what was done. And, of course, uh, the, the people that had that done just a little bit later on are going to get a little weary of that because they come to realize that Paul was what? A Roman citizen. And here, Romans, taken into their hands to beat these men, find out that here you have a Roman citizen that you did not give the proper justice to that he deserved with that citizenship. And Paul will use that Roman citizenship a little bit later on uh, in the book of Acts to take him to uh, Rome to appear before Caesar in his defense of the gospel of Christ. But nevertheless, they were hauled into that public square in Philippi, verse 19. They were beaten, and they were cast into the jail there to await trial. And we could go on with that and a good lesson there because immediately following their being cast into the jail, that's when we have the conversion of the jailer. Singing, you know, Paul and Silas singing at midnight, and all of a sudden the doors of the jail were loosed in the the uh, ties that bound the prisoners together were loose, and the jailer was about to kill himself, and Paul said, no, 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 don't do that, we're all here. And then he said to Paul, uh, what must I do to be saved? And then they were baptized for the remission of their sins, and Paul and them were released then from, from the jail. But it's, uh, it's, under, it's important to understand that these Christians at Thessalonica, they understood and realized what had produced this apostolic preaching. Uh, it wasn't error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, as you read about here in the text today. Uh, an apostolic example of Paul followed the apostolic preaching of Paul. And you can't emphasize that enough. He practiced what he preached. Paul wasn't building a following for himself. 
Uh, he wasn't competing with philosophers of his day, but he was building Christian communities and he was building and establishing churches or congregations of the church in these different localities. And Thessalonica was one of them. Uh, and when he was away, after like visiting Thessalonica, and he had to leave, and he went on down to Athens, he continued to have them in his uh, concern, in his thoughts, and in his prayers, as you read about here in the text. Next section of the lesson deals with gentleness of a mother. Verses 5 through 8. The Christians at Thessalonica were not won over by the words of flattery of this preacher. See, what does flattery get you? <laughs> Nothing. Well, sometimes the, the flowery words and the uh, flattering message uh, wins people over but it's not necessarily a message of what? Truth. Yeah, you know. Sometimes people are flattered because the person flattering wants what? Attention. Wants the following of these people. You know, it's kind of interesting I saw a documentary on TV, it's been several years ago now, and I can't remember exactly uh, what religious uh, fellow they was, but it come to find out they were, the government was investigating him about all of the money that flowed through his organization. And they showed his uh, house, looked like a hotel to me, <laughs> huge. And also they showed his airstrip at his house and his jet uh, airplane and he had yachts here and, and there and you, you just stood in amazement at the millions and millions of dollars but yet when they interviewed him about some of the things oh he was humble and money wasn't his object I wonder how he'd have felt if, if, if his mansion had been taken away and his source of transportation in a jet to fly him to Alcapulco and all of these other spots that people want to go, you know, on vacations all the time. Uh, but yet it was unbelievable at the millions of dollars that people sent his organization every year. just blew my mind. But he didn't condemn sin. He flattered people. Now, you know, preachers are to speak the truth in love, Paul said in Ephesians 4.15, but yet preachers also must not avoid the unpleasant subject of sin. Uh, we've heard it said over and over again through the years, a watered-down gospel doesn't do what? 
save anybody, does it? We have to preach the gospel of Christ. Paul here in these verses, if you go on down and read, he lets them know that what he did, he didn't do it for monetary gain either. Like some of our, I'm afraid, televangelists do today. Send me a donation. Send me a donation. I like what our brother says on uh, the programs that come on the Gospel Broadcasting Network on Sunday morning. Won't cost you a thing. We'll send it to you free. Well, that's a little different than some groups, isn't it? Paul said, I'm not here for the money. In fact, uh, he said that when we were among you, what did we do? We worked day and night, right? Nine day. So Paul worked, got his hands dirty. Uh, he didn't expect the church at Thessalonica to take care of his needs. He could take care of them himself by working. He wanted the true message of the gospel out. And he dealt with them with the truth, but he also did it in a gentle way. Gentle among you as a nursing mother. That's kind of an interesting way to, to put that. Uh, was, was Paul saying he uh, worked with them like a mother gently tends to her baby? Or was he saying that I work with you like a babe without any kind of guile or deceit? Uh, but I was kind and gentle among you. Well, either way, he had an indisputable care for the people in the church at Thessalonica. He was gentle among them. At the same time, he was a humble servant to them all. And he was ready to lay down his life for them if necessary, as well as all Christians. And eventually he did. The next part, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 to 12, talks about the behavior of the Father. Our time's about gone. Uh, he talked about them in, in terms of a nursing mother caring for her babies or a father exhorting his children. Uh, in the church, God has given uh, responsibility for leadership to the men. And we know that. But he's also given responsibilities to women, hasn't he? And... Uh, Women nurture their children. They give guidance and they give direction to their children who grow up under the leadership of their father and the teaching of their mother to become young Christian men and women who eventually will be the leadership of the church. All who own the name of Christ are servants whether it be male or female. And so uh, Paul wanted that understood. I think in this lesson today we can safely say that Paul is uh, teaching us that as gospel preachers we ought 
not to overlook the important task of being the model that we ought to be for Christ. So Paul uh, Paul's very conscious of his personal element in preaching Christ. And preachers don't need to ignore that. But preachers are human. And preachers have faults and sins. I don't think most Christians expect a preacher to be perfect. They expect them, though, one who speaks of the, of the good life that's to be found in Christ, a life that's to be the imitation of Christ himself, we expect our preachers to live some kind of semblance of the life that he asked us to live. And what's true to a preacher in regard to that is true to an elder, to a deacon, to teachers in our Bible classes, and to every person who claims to be a Christian. Every one of us needs to model Christ to others in the lives that we live here upon this earth. Because the example we have, or the example we are, will be known to the community that we live in, as well as other places. And that's important for us to understand. If we don't live up to the expectations of God, and if we don't model the footsteps of Jesus before others, then our influence is going to be negative and we're not going to be the people that can influence others to Christ. Let's bow together and we'll close with a prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the beautiful day that you've blessed us with today and for the wonderful opportunity that we've had to study your word together. We pray, Father, as we look at these lessons from time to time that we will appreciate Paul and the company that he kept, the stance that he took for your word and the example that he set before others. And Father, help us as we learn about these things that we can implement them into our lives and that we can be the proper example that we need to be in the world in which we live today. Help us always to stand firm in your word, to deal gently with others, and to adopt the servant attitude. And we pray, Father, that we will all be your servants with the hope of serving you in heaven. For these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.